jeez. Oh. Oh. Oh, what a surprise, everyone. Oh, oh, have we got a guest on the show this week? Yeah, I, I do... I do have a little surprise. I've been saving this for you both oh. and the listeners, but we are joined in the Podquisition studio today by none other than Justin Roiland. Oh, jeez. The um, co-creator of Rick and Morty. How are you doing, Justin? Oh, jeez. Oh, 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 I see. You're here to discuss High on Life. Um, if anyone's got any questions, do feel free to let me know. Well, I mean, my first thing I want to say is you can tell that that isn't Steph or me because both of us have talked overlapping with Justin, so it's not either of us. It definitely Can't is be. Justin Roiland that's here. It's Justin Roiland. Uh, yeah. Of, uh, Rick and Morty and some other... Th- oh, and um, what was that other What was the Hulu one? Solar Opposites fame. Oh, Solar Opposites. Yeah. Boy, they, they, that got pushed weirdly. <laughs> That had a weird push. Fame sure is a word for uh, for, for that. Uh, well, I've, I've got a question, um, um, Mr. Royland. Oh? <laughs> Do you have a second voice in your repertoire? Listen to your Uncle Richard. Okay, okay, okay. But, Do you have, uh, a, thir- Do you have uh, a third voice? Do you have voice number three? Oh, jeez. That's our voice number one again, but sad. Oh, oh. Still voice number one, but sad. Oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, I think that answers that. Um, yeah. Thank you, Justin. Uh, (laughs) any news on on um, another season of of Solar Opposites? Oh, jeez. Okay, bye. Uh, welcome to Podquisition, everyone. That was Justin Roiland uh, here to discuss High on Life. Uh, he didn't say word one about it. Um, there was a number of bomb threats uh, in that um, particular undulation at the end, though. You know, as someone who speaks Roiland, um, you know, I studied it for you know five years at uh, uh, a school. Uh, so, so you know, not to not to show off, not to bust out my qualifications or anything. Um, but yeah, uh, we will be talking about that. Uh, today and some other games. First of all, I just want to know how everyone is. This is the is this the last Jimquisition uh, Jim last Podquisition before Christmas, or have we got another one? Uh, no, there's one more. One more. Okay. Yeah, this is the second to last one before Christmas. Second to last one. We know how time works. Yeah, it's the, it's the penultimate. Second to last one before Christmas. It's the one before Christmas Eve, basically. Um. So what what did you both get me? For second to um, Christmas Eve, Eve. Uh, I I got you, and this is really embarrassing because you already got it for it for all of us at the start of the show. I did get a guest appearance by Justin Roiland for you for Christmas. Oh, 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 oh Steph, I feel I feel like this is an embarrassing um overlap of gifts at this point. Can I should you... probably I should probably return Roiland see if I can get like a refund. Yeah, can you take it back to the shop? If you just take it back to the shop, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah just... look, I've got a receipt, but I doubt they're going to take him back. Uh, if you could exchange it for a second Jordan Peterson guest appearance. I, um... Because, uh, you know, our most popular bit. I mean, they're, they're, fucking, giving, they're fucking giving them away. Excellent. I love my present. Uh, a coupon at the guest star <laughs> shop. That's a real shop. Missed. Uh, right. I'm all right, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I am. I am also. We're, we're here. We're, we're doing it. We sure are. We, 
We sure played video games this week. Right? We sure did. Yeah. It's my second year HRT anniversary, by the way. <gasps> oh, Ooh, muzzle. Congrats. I think I missed the exact day, so I'm just saying it's today. Yeah. Yeah. Like two years ago, high off my tits on LSD, listening to Satellite of Love with an estrogen in my mouth. It wasn't on purpose. Uh, I, I realised, basically, I thought I had to take one pill, one different pill first, and then got a message after I'd already had the, the other stuff uh, from a doctor saying, oh, no, you're taking both at the same time. So I was like, shit. So then in it went, and then, you know, I, I watched uh, the music in, um, uh, what was it? Uh, what's that film? Uh, Moulin Rouge. That's it. Oh, I watched yeah. Moulin Rouge and the music became um, a physical entity. It was pretty good. I, I must say, starting HRT while uh, high off, off your mind on psychedelics seems like exactly the right way to be starting your uh, your, your uh, medical journey there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and happy to say that, that it's been pretty good while not uh, uh, off my tits on um, LSD. Which is good because there's a lot more tit. Yeah. <laughs> so who's 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 played video games this week? Who's done some of them? I mean, we all played one thing. Oh jeez. Yeah. All of us. Oh jeez. Oh jeez, indeed. Uh, I may have played the most. I'm not sure. Uh... I mean, I've I've really only logged like 25 minutes. I've got it open in another tab. I played like an hour and a half. Oh, I've played the most. Okay, how how much have you played so far? Uh, well, right now, I've got the game on pause. Yeah. Because I had to stop watching Demon Wind, narrated by Red Letter Media, mm-hmm. to come here. And then when I get <laughs> when when I'm done, I will play more of High on Life. Um, I've already watched all of Tammy and the T-Rex. It's got about four B-movies in it, apparently. Uh, but anyway, uh, I've played, like, most of launch day I played it, just because I'm probably going to review it uh, before I do uh, Crisis Core. Mm. And I more or less like it. I more or less like it. Despite the bells and whistles with the, the guns and sort of their abilities... It is at core quite a simple first-person shooter, quite a straightforward one, really, um, and not not always an elegant one. Yeah, but mostly an enjoyable one uh, in terms of of gameplay, in terms of story plus humor slash humor quote humor. Uh, it's exactly what anyone would expect from Justin Roiland's uh, material. As someone who has played um, a couple of previous games that Justin Roiland had a hand in, it is 100% exactly Trover Saves the Universe except with a gun. If you're going to play a game Justin Roiland had a hand in, accounting is a better game to have a hand to play because someone else was also involved in that and kept him somewhat slightly more reined in. This is just Trover saves the universe with a gun. Oh, it's way better than that. It's Justin Roiland being Justin Roiland doing the Justin Roiland thing you expect it to be. Yeah, in terms of style, more or less the same. I, I, I've played some Trover saves the universe. Tr Trover was like 
a lot more mechanically there wasn't really it it was just the Justin Roiland yeah. being Justin Roiland there was no mechanics so much in that it was designed as a VR game initially yeah. i never played the VR one i played it when it came to switch and and wasn't too impressed VR is where i is where i played uh, Trevor saves the universe and it's one that i think i got more out of it by playing it in VR but also yeah, it was it was be in a space while Justin Roiland, Justin Roiland. Yeah. There's there's gameplay in High on Life. Mm -hmm. There is things to do gameplay wise. And like I like Rick and Morty. Yeah, um, quite a bit. I obviously he's working on that with others. Yes, and I think that's always evident. Yes, when you see something he's had like the majority hand in, it's not really made me laugh. I've smirked a bit. And tittered at like one thing, although I can't remember what it was. And and other than that, I don't find it as offensive as many people will in terms of obnoxiousness. It is exhausting. Oh. It is exhausting. It is constant and exhausting. It does not shut up. I will say uh, I've not used it myself, but there is a slider for the gun dialogue <laughs> at least. Uh, that you can slide it down to none. Oh, okay, yeah. That is that is the best accessibility option in a um, game this year. Yeah, you can slide that down, uh, and that's fine. Uh, I will say, like, I've played games with talking guns before. Borderlands. I know there was talking power armor in, in Fallout. Mm. And I remember how fucking annoying the talking guns were in Borderlands. And I will say, it's not that bad. It's actually reined in. Uh, compared to that, yeah. I, the thing is, it's it's not offensive. It's just constant. Yes, yes, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I actually find the the surrounding noise more tiring than the guns. Well, yeah, it's not limited to the guns. Yeah, everything, everything auditory in this game I have experienced so far is just tiring. I've got a clip that I recorded that that demonstrates the game's problem with not shutting up. Uh, and that's an NPC who is uh, arguing with another NPC and they're just yelling fuck you at each other. But there's an interact <laughs> button to talk to him and he doesn't stop yelling fuck you at the other guy and will just talk, almost like earlier when there were two Justin Roiland noises happening. Yeah. Uh, it's like he will be talking to you while a second voice is yelling fuck you while um, the character model is, like, flitting. Like, it's just uh, spasming between yeah. sitting in its default and yelling. And it's it's just a fine example of how the game is so crammed. And it interrupts itself a lot because, you know, you'll be talking to one NPC and you might move a little bit or the gun will talk. Or, like, it's very audibly frenetic, I guess. And it's also not well-paced. Because, I mean, just setting aside the obvious gag of this never fucking shuts up, which is basically Roiland's joke. It's Roiland's, jo it's Roiland's joke when you have stuff where he has been allowed to do... Because here's the thing. Some of, some of Roiland's stuff feels like he has sat down and worked on a script and other people have looked at it. And some of Roiland's stuff feels like... You put him in a booth and just let him ramble. Absolutely. And this is one of the latter. 
This is, let's get as much Roiland on tape as we can and use it all. Well, yeah, it goes back to what you were saying before, that Roiland needs an editor. There are a lot of people who are very talented who require someone else to rein in their instincts. Hmm. I mean, yeah, haven't you heard Boston's favorite son? Exactly. <laughs> Good you content know. needs an editor. Right. So it's, it, that is certainly an aspect of it, but like, in this, I'm walking through an area and the dialogue isn't given enough time, doesn't have enough time to finish in the time I go point A to point B. Yeah. I hate when games do that in general, but it happens here a lot. Like you, you have to stand still and pay attention if you want to, which not everyone will want to. And that's when the game doesn't stop you and force you to sit and listen to something that is overly long, which is, in its own way, just as fucking annoying. But the but the problem is, is that it's one of those games where it's like, if I know that I'm about to cross the threshold and I'm probably going to get this, this or whatever's being said right now interrupted if I move forward, I have no way to know whether this is going to be, I'm going to be like 10 seconds letting you finish what you're saying, mm -hmm. or you're going to be going for the next minute and a half. Uh -huh. Like, it's so hard to know how much I'm committing to before deciding whether to move on from what is happening. And the worst part, the worst part is, and now again, I'm only like 25 minutes into this game. Oh, and by the way, oh yeah, that's right. The checkpoint system. Mm. The scanning to find your next objective. Oh boy, I hate the implementation of this. It's not a it's not a well done one at all. It's not well done. The way it functions is it tries to g give you updated guides. So it'll point you in a direction and you know with a with a little marker, but then it will move that marker once you get there and it's very disorienting. Yeah. What's interesting is this isn't the first game to do that. No. Killzone, which, you know, is a mm. series I, I very much enjoy, does that too. And it's not as good as other checkpoints. But, like, as old as those games are, like, it's better. There's something particularly bad about... I think part of it is because when you scan for the checkpoint marker, it doesn't stay up very long at all. Yeah. So you're like, and it's on the D-pad, and so you're scanning and moving and scanning and moving, and the game is, is it's got a lot of visual, it's a lot, it's got a lot of HUD, it's got a lot of um, little um, context-sensitive markers to show you what you can interact with. Like, once you get the, the grappling hook and that, like, you'll just see little LB symbols everywhere well not everywhere but but it can sort of draw your eye a bit too much yeah i it's, i am usually the first person to come out in defense of garish design this might be too much it's too distracting at times uh, for, for, for me i'm okay with the level of visual garishness like i for, for me i think that it works in the context of this being such a ab obnoxious everything all the time happening at me game, and sometimes like there's a little too much of that from the dialogue, perhaps. But like, I'm not, I'm, I'm enjoying it. That's the that's the thing. I, yeah, that's the thing that's not coming across. Is as frustrated as I yeah. am with it. It's very competent, 
and I am enjoying it. As much as I'm complaining that maybe there's a bit too much, a little too much talking, maybe I haven't turned, I haven't turned it, the, the slider down. Yeah. No, I've kept it up. It's kind of just turn my brain off sensory input fun. And I don't dislike it. But at the same time, that, you know, turn my brain off sensory fun does keep getting interrupted by dialogue that I am not entirely sure whether or not I need to be paying attention to and logging in my brain. And and the thing I was getting back to about the, the, like, weird aspect of having to wait around for them to say something. Hmm. So I get the sense that it's not worth it most of the time. No. Like, the payoff's not there. There was one joke that was a very overly long waiting gag, and I was mm. like, okay, right, I've got to wait an hour here. Yes. And this is the kind of game where something will happen. But you know what? Time is money, and I've got to get back to the hub so I can watch the rest of um, Tammy versus the T-Rex. <laughs> so I just looked it up, and it was like, yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah. There's, you don't get anything, and it's like a, a couple of lines. That's the problem with a game like this, is this is the kind of game where, like, there's a bit in the back of my head going, yeah, you might give me something, like, actually useful and cool if I do this. Yeah. Like, you're the kind of game that might might actually do that bullshit. And I think one other problem with it um, which is, it speaks to the wider sort of game design and its philosophy overall, uh, is I played, I replayed a bit of Nier Automata this year. Yeah. I replayed all of the Phantom Pain this year. Now, these are two games that feature a lot of examples of um, either playing with the medium of video games, uh, in Nier's case, or uh, having so many strange interactions and rewarding you for doing unusual things, mm. uh, which is Phantom Pain. Um, sort of that that idea that the developer has, has done a real good job of thinking of everything a player might do or want to do. And that's so comprehensively done that when you have a game that has kind of a very surface level approach to that, uh, it looks threadbare in comparison. The game breaks the fourth wall a fair bit. It mm. has these moments of, are you going to stick around? Are you going to try and do something interesting? But it's very, um, and this can also tie into just the way they populate the world as well. It's very much a cardboard world. Yeah. It gives you the impression that you're going to have a lot of fun things to do. You're just going to exist in this world. Uh, and have all sorts of fun interactions. Most of it is just stood listening. And not a lot of doing. Yeah. Uh, there was like, and it's because it's the kind of game that looks like it should be doing more. Uh, I found myself wasting time on a lot of things that I didn't need to. Like one of the the, the first uh, combat area, the slum, that had lots of these little plushes of birds that you could shoot, and they had physics, and they're about the only thing there that does. So I'm like, maybe. It'll do something. It doesn't do fuck all. I shot loads of them. Uh, But it's just that kind of game that gives you the impression it might. And so many times, in fact, almost all, unless it's sitting for a punchline, the answer is pretty much always no, it won't. When you ask, might it? And the, 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 the thing is, is that like, I rarely find myself saying this about a video game. I feel like if you just threw more stuff at me to for, for me to shoot at, so that like just recognize that you have all of this dialogue that you seemingly want to be heard, and just give me more stuff to shoot, even if that just means throw another wave of enemies in to 
Like, give give me something else to be doing while the dialogue finishes. Just just get that balance closer. But not the little insect ones, because the guns are just no. not really designed for crowd control, really. Like no, it, like the actual fighting the the G three the main enemies it puts you quite particularly against small groups unless it does a couple of big wave based attacks which really do sort of can em- emphasize the weakness of the combat yeah not that it's bad it's just not really kitted like I I've I've unlocked one uh, one of the other guns hmm. uh, that is essentially a boglin that doubles as a shotgun yeah uh, and I was so disappointed when I I brought the shotgun into combat and it's it doesn't feel like a shotgun all of the weapons so far and i've got like three guns and they all feel like lesser versions of guns in other games um they've got some neat little gimmicks like the the shotgun can fire out discs uh although again not as good as the disc launcher in ratchet and clank yeah it's fine is is the combat but none of the guns feel as effective I have played so many games with so many shotguns and they all pack so much more of a punch than the shotgun in this one. And that's kind of the main issue with combat is nothing packs a punch. I'm having f- I'm having fun with it. Yeah. I will probably play through it. Well, that's the other thing. It is fun. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about like like where it kind of fights to suck some of that fun out is I really don't appreciate like the Rage 2 thing of every time I finished a combat mm. encounter, it's like, right, now let's spend 20 minutes trying to find a way to jump up the side of this building to get that crate. Uh, there is so much of that, and where this game in particular trips up is it does not communicate to you effectively which crates you can get to currently and which need a new weapon with a new ability. Mm. Sometimes it's clear enough even though the game doesn't tell you and you're you're guessing the whole time. It's like, okay, there's a there's a loot box over there, uh, like treasure box over there, and the wall has a bit of a red glow on it. I'm going to assume that I can do something with that later. Yeah. And but sometimes it's like, I didn't know. The like hours into the game, you'd get the ability to um get more height from jumping. Like you 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 can end up going a lot higher. Uh, later on in the game so i'm on like the second level i chose and trying for ages to work out how to get up the side of this fucking building because until like until then and then beyond it the game has taught me that that's how you get stuff you platform you environmentally explore if something is a bit glowy or looks a little out of place you can reasonably guess that you'll need something uh, late that comes later. But with some of this stuff, like once I unlocked the, it's basically the jetpack. Once I got that, I was like, oh, so a number of these times I've wasted ages trying to get to this item that's in clear view. I couldn't do it. Uh, and there was no way to do it. And the game did not tell me. Um, and a good game that does that kind of stuff will actually inform you. I was going to say, this is the kind of game that has the easiest excuse to just tell you. Well, yeah, it never shuts up. You've got a gun that won't <laughs> shut the fuck up that could just go, hey, hey, I don't think you can jump up there yet. You you know, it'd probably belittle you a little as you did so. Go, hey, loser, you're not good enough at jumping to get up there, you fucking loser. But, like, it could do that, and it would be fine. It could do something. Uh, but it doesn't. It, it And there are 
I'm su- very surprised by that and I'm kind of annoyed that I've wasted so much time in a game that has so many deliberate time wastes that I'm like, you didn't need to do this. Like, st- streamline my time where you can so that I can sit and watch your B-movies. So that that is a real annoyance for me. It, and I'm in general, I get annoyed by games that do that where they don't give you a good way to remember where the stuff you can't get to is when you get new stuff. Mm. There's a game that I played recently that did that. I can't remember it now, but like, and, and it spent ages, hours before I got the thing that would let me get past these barriers that had been turning up for most of the game. And I finally, at the end of, near the end, got something that could do it. I couldn't remember where all that shit was. Uh that's the worst. What was that? It really annoyed me. I can't remember what it was. But because it was such an extreme uh, of I keep seeing this thing I know I can't get to and it's been hours and now oh look here's another one, a different one, and I still haven't got the second one. And it's it's god it's annoying. I'm going to have to try and remember what it was because it's a very it's a particularly annoying one. And this one is uh high on life is not as upfront annoying in that it's not teasing you with so many things or as many things that you can't get to yet. But it's retroactively annoying because half of them, it didn't tell me I couldn't get to it. Uh, So yeah, I've kind of learned now that if I can't immediately get to something, I might as well give up and try another time. But I am also enjoying the game well enough. I don't dislike it. Yeah. When I'm playing the gameplay or enjoying, you know, whatever I'm listening to, uh, I don't feel like I'm wasting my time, but sometimes I do feel like I am. And yeah, yeah, that's about it. I do like the visual design sometimes yeah. as well. It's similar to the time wasty thing where when it works, it works. Yeah. A, a little bit clashy that the, your sister, the human character model, looks nothing like anything else in the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the big, big-eyed, almost Simpson-esque. It's very Simpson-y looking. Yeah. Perhaps more so even than sort of the Rick and Morty art style. Um, a lot of the NPCs, because so almost nothing has hair, so they've just got big, bald, round heads and buggy eyes and... Like, half of the NPCs look like a different coloured Homer Simpson. Uh, and I guess that's fine. I'm a little disappointed that there's not more variety to the aliens, but I'm not really wowed by how they look. They're very plain and very, like I say, Simpson-y. But when it's applied to something they put more effort in, like the guns, hmm. I love it. I find that bug-eyed, sort of big-feature, colourful art style gorgeous yeah. and very appealing to me when it's on something they really sort of put their imagination into. When it's on something they've they've taken the effort to put, like, uh, large amounts of over-detail into and exaggerated expressions. Yeah, I like the design of the bosses, for example. I like the design of, of certain um, aliens when they've worked on it, when, when they're not just populating a level with NPCs to have them, most of which do nothing but stand there and contribute to that idea that it's a cardboard world, which you really like the, the not communicating where you can get stuff like loot. Uh, it really plays at odds with the fact it never shuts up and it, it exudes so much personality. And then, you know, 
they'll big up some city you go to. Oh, this is going to be really exciting. It's all sex and drugs and, and underworld stuff. And you go in it and it's just the same aliens you've seen before stood there, most of them saying nothing. And, and that's, that's where the disappointment comes in. Yeah, that's a bummer. But overall, I really, just to go back to the art style, I do like the, the general. I, I love the guns. Not always the talking. But I love the visual design of them. Yeah, I can agree with that. Big eyes, cute faces, very squidgy, very squelchy looking. Um, yeah, very appealing. Guns and bosses uh, are basically where it, it shines. And I do like the, the environment um, as well. It's not super detailed, but it's very colourful. It's the right kind of colourful. So yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess that's my thoughts on it thus far. It's, I like it well enough. Yeah. 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 Um, who else has, has played something this week? Uh, uh, I mean, we've all played something. I know there's another game that's been played that we we both played. Yeah. Well, I'll 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 get like a couple of my like quick little nonsense ones out of the way because I got a few that I have very little to say about that I played, and I wish to inform you of what they are. I played some yum yum cookstar. Out of curiosity. Ooh, yum yum. Why is isn't that the um alternative release of of Cooking Mama Cookstar? Yeah. This is definitely, definitely not Cooking Mama Cookstar by the Cooking Mama Cookstar devs who are legally like have been sued and are not allowed to sell Cooking Mama Cookstar. Right. Now, at, at a first glance, I'd had a look at this previously, and my first glance impression had been Oh, you just re- you literally just reskinned Cooking Mama Cookstar, and I don't retract that statement. But there's some interesting little wrinkles to this. So while there's a lot of stuff that is very clearly like you copied and pasted those files over and those folders over, and literally are just reusing work that you did on Cookstar to make this new knockoff cooking minigame series. There are some slightly baffling additions. I never thought I would experience a Cookie Mama knockoff that had music rhythm sections that were explicitly de- motion-controlled DDR to to, to 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 somehow influence the cooking. There's a lot of like there's a lot of focus on here is here is a music track. Do something in time with the music while cooking is a mechanic they've introduced. Uh, it simultaneously feels like cheaper and also more high budget than Cooking Mama Cookstar did in like all of the going through recipes, trying to make the dishes feels a lot more threadbare. There is a lot less uh, ability for you to get any kind of feedback that you did anything other than perfect. There's no do this at the correct speed, otherwise you'll get punished. Like none of that exists. A lot of it is just number keeps going up. That probably means something, but there's not really any context. It feels very rushed in that regard. But also it has considerably more like voice acting than Cooking Mama Cookstar did. And it feels very uh, cheesy and tacky and over-exaggerated, but more so than Cooking Mama Cookstar, there is an attempt to give this a story and a narrative and characters you you are basically being entered into a cooking competition for like celebrity judges that all have exaggerated obvious stereotyped uh, performances you have 
quirky travel blogger chef, you have snooty British chef who probably won't like anything, and a judge who is there just because they're a celebrity and doesn't really know anything about food. And everything moves a lot slower because the game wants to be like slowing down on every single recipe to have a voice acted character tell you that you're moving on to the next bit of the competition and have the, all of the judges have voice acting lines to tell you how you did for something that is very clearly at its core we rushed to grab every single minigame from Cookstar and implement it in basically the exact same way, but with different JPEGs for what the final meal kind of looks like. Most of the meals have been painted with rainbows, and now they're rainbow versions of the dishes that you would expect. I would say it feels like more effort than they they needed to go to, but legally probably they did have to go to a certain degree of effort. It is fundamentally, it's Cooking Mama Cookstar, but they put voice acting in and really tried to dress up the fact that they just copied and pasted like so many of the 3d models i'm like i recognize that model i this this chopping mini game i recognize the chopping board and the knife and the uh, the tomato i'm chopping and the way i'm chopping it and the how it, the bowl it's going into like lots of it is just that's just cooking mama cook star again that you are selling brazenly called cook i'm i'm amazed that they put the word cook star in that title that feels like playing with fire. But yeah, that that's that. Um, The other thing that I played that I will very quickly get out the way, I played some Clumsy Rush Ultimate Guys. Oh god, I've seen the store entry for that shite. It was like a quid on the Switch eShop, and I was like, you know what? I'm curious enough to... G- I, I have some, like, leftover, um, like, points. Fuck it, I'm curious. So, what if Fall Guys... With no online multiplayer, it's local co-op only, and all of the, the, the courses are variations on... Right when you start the level, the crown is here. You can, you can d- get, catch up to another person and press A on them to take the crown from them. You're all just trying to run to the end of a f- straight-line obstacle course with things that'll make it difficult to walk in varying ways. This game has no single player, but it will still let you play with only one player, in which case you pick up the crown, there is no one chasing you, no one, no CPU, you just run to the end of the course and you win. That is, that is the single player mode is, I picked up the crown, I ran to the end, I won. Finally, a game made for me. (laughs) Yeah, and like, look, I, I wasn't expecting much, I was expecting something bad. I was surprised by quite how, um... Shamelessly low effort this is So um Yeah that's that Who who else wants to talk about a game uh, Well I uh I watched the game awards I, I, I also did this I didn't and I enjoyed A sense of smug superiority All night long Good Good. Yeah, but you didn't you didn't get to be there For the baffling moment of I'd like to thank my uh, reformed Orthodox Rabbi Bill Clinton. No, I got to see it after the fact and then craft a hit tweet about it. <laughs> but the thing is, by that point, we had already been prepared for this thing to just go completely off the rails because it led with... It, oh, people had yeah. lost sight of like this happening in the aftermath of weird, you know, <laughs> shit poster, dude. But it started... With a befuddled <laughs> Al Pacino, <laughs> yes. unable to read the prompter, 
And then, like, a, what, 13-minute acceptance speech for the first award. Yes. Well, my my favourite bit about that acceptance speech is when they turned on the, like, trying to play him off stage music, and his speech was such that it just sounded like dramatic yeah, like it was just music. building him. It was, it was just adding to his sense of grandioseness. Well, and I also love that it took them fully, like, eight minutes. Yeah. Before they, like, because they, they just, they were unprepared. They were unprepared for the eventuality that someone might take a stage and not relinquish it. Yeah. And, like, I can't blame anyone. Like, if I was a performer who, like, Al Pacino just gave me an award for best performance... Mm. Yeah, I'd probably want to milk that moment. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's a fucking hero. Like, that was fantastic. <laughs> this was this was a failure of logistics and operations. But that's the thing, is it, it, it highlighted right from the start, the Game Awards have not done the due diligence of thinking through eventualities mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. having plans in place and having, like, this... The, like, let's pre-prepare people for this. Let's, if this happens, let's do this. Like, they had no plan. Now, to their credit, they learn quickly. Yep. Because anybody else who got up there and went more than a minute started Ooh. hearing some tunes come in. They, uh, they did pick up the pace on it, but it was really a, an entertaining show for all of the reasons that it shouldn't have been entertaining. And uh, I I did wind up enjoying the show, but it also like the the things that got announced as a, as a result were pretty exciting, and this leads me to uh, Armored Core. Oh yes, Armored Core Six got announced, and I kind of had like spaced out on four and five like entirely, but I loved Armored Cores one through three. Like I played the fuck out of those games and um if you haven't played armored core before it is it's from software's mech game Mm. and it has traits that we associate with from software that pre-exist a lot of the things that we think of from software as doing now right like, this is a statistically crunchy thing, but it's not a statistically crunchy thing in, in the sense of leveling and that form of optimization. This is uh, purchasing items and building within a framework and limitations. And I say this because it, it, is, a, it is a mech game, but you're really, all of your time is going to be spent in menus. Like, and I'd forgotten this and went to stream Armored Core 4, and I lasted 20 minutes. I went two missions, and the missions take, like, three minutes, and then I spent, like, ten minutes in menus, and I'm like, this, this is the worst stream I've ever done. <laughs> and I went and played Hades, but... I am going to come back to Armored Core and play more because I am excited to, like, do math again, it, weirdly. They are really interesting games. And the other thing that, that is very from software about them, and I'm very curious to see what they do with new Armored Core, is they will adopt convention when they damn well feel like it, Right. And that is to the frustration of many, many, many people, myself included. 
it took them, well, apparently four games to get a moderately decent camera into Armored Core. It has a weird controller layout. There are three different boost buttons in Armored Core 4. <laughs> like, and they're all tied to shoulders. Your gun, your, your weapons are all face buttons. It feels so antiquated. But here's the thing. I fully expect it to be just this way in Armored Core 6. Yeah. That's just their way. Um, and I, th- I, I do think that for people whose predominant experience with From Software <laughs> is Souls games and is very upset about From's unwillingness to do things that players want them to do. And I am not even talking, I'm not even talking about four-letter words that some people would like them to do. Um, And I am fine with personally. They have already said that they're like, hey, this is going to be armored core as hell. Yeah. It is not going, like, we are not going to be catering to people who know from soft from Dark Souls games. We're not, it's going to be armored core. It's going to be what we've always done with armored core. And I think, I think it's going to be an awakening for some people who have been trying to encourage them to change for years and years and years on Souls games to see Armored Core and be like, oh, this is who they are. There's no hope of convincing them of anything. We have been wasting our energy. I truly think that will happen for some people. It would be fine if they added an easy mode to Dark Souls, though. Yeah. That'd be fine. Also, Hades 2 got announced, and yes. I'm I'm very excited and happy for more Hades. I will pay for additional Hades. It got me playing Hades again. Yeah. I too am gay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. I've heard some people are... I've heard some expression of disappointment that Supergiant is going back to the well as a studio that so frequently... Like, does something dramatically different, but very iterative on concepts of things that they've done before. And I understand that. I'm sympathetic to wanting something extraordinarily different from it. But at the same time, they did such a excellent refinement of the mechanics yes. in Hades that as a studio that I trust to innovate, yes, I'm very curious if they think there's still enough meat on this bone. That's the thing for me is like I I'm looking at this as being a studio that almost exclusively does one game and then moves on. If they think they've got enough to do a second game, and they as a development team want to do a second game, that is exciting to me and gives me some hope. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Also, I am curious about the fan art adaptations of Hades all chained up. I'm just <laughs> very curious how how Grumpy Daddy is going to be conveyed in that context. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, should we talk about the other thing that me and Steph have both been playing a bit of? Yes. Yeah. Should, we talk, should, we, should we talk a bit about uh, Crisis Core Reunion? I think, yeah, Reunion. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by by Square Enix standards, that's actually quite a uh, restrained, elegant subtitle. Yeah, it's it's only a it's only a single word. Yeah, like I I, I can respect that, and it's thematically appropriate. Like Reunion yeah. is a big part of um sort of the the later 
well, no, even the the original um, reunion is sort of an arc word. So it 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 is relevant and sensible. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Um, I was a big fan of Crisis Core. Same. Now I never liked that Square Enix milked and milked and milked Final Fantasy VII. Uh, I wasn't really on board with the compilation of Final Fantasy VII that was going on around the time Crisis Core came out. Yeah. Um, where we had Advent Children and Dirge of Cerberus and a whole bunch of anime and shit. I felt it was way too much. Yes. The the Final Fantasy VII cinematic universe, as it were. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that, like, if if I enjoy a game in a certain way, I don't necessarily want to go back to that world. Mm. I'd rather, like, not embellish it because sometimes when you add in that way you can take stuff away from it uh and it always has that problem especially when doing prequels of adding characters that are super important that you've never heard of before because they never came up because they didn't imagine that character until much later um mm-hmm. sophia lamb for example mm. and there is some of that with this um it gets a bit on my wick but Yeah, I played the shit out of it because as a game, as a PSP game especially, it was really good. There were compromises that had to be made to make it work on the PSP, but in terms of getting a a console-feeling action Mm. game running on a PSP, they did an impressive job back in the day. Now, I've not gone back to replay it uh, in preparation for Union yet, although I might give me an excuse to go to CEX. But we'll uh, see about that. But as it stands, I can already tell, like, um, and I've, I've, you know, done some research for refreshment on it. Yeah. It's a better game than the original Crisis Core for the simple fact that the controls are better. Yes. You can select menus faster because you've got more buttons to do it. So everything is quicker, more accessible, more ready. It feels a lot more in line with the Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1 in that sort of like snappy um, the the feel of the real-time combat is very familiar. Oh yeah, and that's that's absolutely on purpose. Uh, You know, you've got the menus are designed to look the same and it's interesting because it it does a lot to bring it in line with Final Fantasy VII Remake, but not quite enough to not feel a bit weird that it doesn't play like that exactly. Yeah, I I had that same thought. Like, there's, it's one of those like the the game opens and you're right into combat and you are like zipping around, feeling very Final Fantasy VII Remake, and then you get to like the first bit where it's like. Here is your menus and your tutorial instructions and your like selecting missions and it's like oh you've not you've 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 made no effort to like modernize any of this it's just we're just going to throw it at you it, it it's it's very specific the things that feel modernized yeah well i think that's because in in part be- because most of the improvement is felt through the hardware not the software and and to, to Square Enix's credit, they've been pretty clear in their messaging. They've not called it a remake; it's a remaster. Yeah. Um. And like, I I had a look at like a little uh, an IGN review of it just to give myself a, a a memory refresh. Um. I just sort of looked at the first review that came up just to sort of have a look at what might have changed that I didn't remember. Yeah. And they spoke as if Square Enix was putting themselves down by claiming it was just a remaster, but I think it was very honest of them to do that, which you don't often get to say about Square Enix, but it was very upfront um, because I do believe that most of the improvement comes from the hardware. That doesn't mean it's bad. 
putting a game on a different system can be very worthwhile. Yeah. I did not like uh, Shovel Knight when I first played it. Played it on a different system, liked it very much. Um, sometimes hardware can absolutely inform uh, one's enjoyment with a game mm. and the game's ability, of course, to take advantage of that hardware. Crisis Core back in 2007, very impressive because it, it did impeccable things with the hardware limitations. Freed of those limitations, you have a really quite good action game. However, there are structural things, design things, that were made with the PSP in mind and also make me wish I'd gotten this on the Switch instead. I got this on the Switch and I can tell you about the Switch port in a minute. First of all, I think I'd have been happier with the Switch because I don't know how the PlayStation Store did it, but it put me down for a regular version of the game and the really shitty like deluxe edition that I didn't <laughs> want that has no in-game content. I'll just say right now, like as much as I like Crisis Core, it ain't worth $127. <sighs> Um, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to get a refund. Well, I tried to get one yesterday and it fucked me up. And then it was like, oh, you've used the chat and it didn't help you. You can't come back until later. Then I forgot. But yeah, I need to try and get a refund on that because like, I didn't even think that was possible. I, I am impressed by hearing this. Yeah, it somehow put the regular and, and deluxe in the shopping cart at the same time. And I didn't put either of them in until I went to get the regular one. So I don't know what the fuck happened. But... Yeah, um, all of this is to say that a lot of this game is structurally designed for a portable system. Yes. Very short, small levels, a lot of optional missions that I played the shit out of mm. when I travelled by bus a lot, when I worked in a boring office at night. Like, it was perfect for that. Now I've got it on my big screen TV and I don't know how much patience I'm going to have for all of those little missions, little levels, little... Um, Stuff like that. Yeah. Even to the degree that, like, the, the, this still does the thing where you will fight, like, at least in the early section, here is, like, two or three enemies. Battle start. You fight them. Cool, you're done fighting them. Battle over will officially tell you. Like, there's a lot of points where it's like, you definitely are done with a segment of combat and you can just pause it, go to sleep. That's fine. It, it, everything feels like it's meant to be done in, like, very small little chunks incrementally. The Switch version... Runs really nicely. Oh, I have had zero performance issues with like frame rate on Switch. There are clearly some like occasionally in cutscenes you'll get some anti-aliasing and some sort of jaggy ed edges on on characters. It's not frequent and it's not a huge problem, but it's definitely it runs well enough that I'm like, for the trade-off of having slightly nicer graphics, I'm glad I picked it up on Switch. It definitely feels like where I want to be playing it. Yeah, I can't justify buying it a third time. No, fuck's sake. It's the shittest deluxe edition I have seen, possibly ever. This, yeah, because it's what, just like a soundtrack and some images to look at or something? Yeah, yeah, no in-game stuff whatsoever. It's, yeah, it's not good. But the game itself, like the moment-to-moment the -moment gameplay, is pretty much as I remember it, but better controlled, more efficient, faster. Yeah. Once again, I play this game as someone that's like, I have no idea what that, that roulette wheel's doing or oh, if there's God, anything no. I'm supposed to be doing with it, but I'm just going to ignore it. And then sometimes I get cool powers without having thought about it. Yeah, every now and then, like, a, a challenging fight becomes a fucking cakewalk. And I've got no problem with that. Yeah. Oh, you suddenly gave me unlimited use of MP for, like, a little while? Cool, I'll, I'll spam my moves. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. A fine example of how Square Enix just throws systems into its games, just 
What'll work? In fact, I actually like that the roulette itself is very representative of Square Enix's development philosophy when it comes to new game systems. It really is just, let's just throw some fucking random shit in there and maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll benefit us. Maybe it'll backfire. Who cares? Yeah. This game is still just as, like, wonky and janky in some ways as I remember it. And, like... I will still never stop laughing at being in the middle of an intense fight and then suddenly I have a flashback about Zack having a very benign conversation. I'm like, yeah, stuff like that, it's, it's got its own weird little charm and that is all intact here. Yeah. I do wish the game would stop pausing itself and giving me... I, I have a problem with games stopping themselves to give me long blocks of text tutorials anyway. But when the answer to most of them is could be condensed to, lol, it's random. Like, just tell me that. Just be yeah. like, this this roulette wheel, this fruit machine spins in the corner. Sometimes you get cool shit. Sometimes you don't. Just leave it at that. I don't need to read three paragraphs about how, because I'm friends with this character, he'll be more likely to show up on the roulette wheel. I'm, I can't control the wheel. Cool, he's going to show up more. What, what do you want me to do about it? I didn't need three paragraphs yeah. to tell me that. Especially when it tells you it like more than once for a different character. It's like, no, I get it. <laughs> Just, I get it. I'm not even paying attention to it. It's random. Yeah, but he, but he also will, he's also your friend. He also will appear more frequently now. So random. Uh, it's fine. Um, but yeah, it's still a very good game. I, um, yeah. Oh God. It'd be really useful for like when I'm like at the training facility, but not doing anything. I can't get it on, so I can't justify it. It's a very good game. Yeah. Uh, Comrade, what have you been playing this week? Um, well, okay, so I just had another thought about High on Life, um, actually. That's something that yeah. I remembered that is a dumb little thing, but stuck out in my mind as a, uh, wow, they thought about that. There's a brief period of time where you don't have the suit that gives you all of your abilities, and in that period of time... Your jump sucks. Yeah. Your jump re is reflective of what a human being's jump might be like. It is mm -hmm. fucking useless. It is uh, like a one foot jump and it's perfect and I love it. And I just that I just remembered it and it made me happy. But the uh, the other game I played this week uh, and, and very briefly for reasons I'll get into in a moment is uh, called Potion Craft. Mm. This is it's out on Game Pass, so feel free to check it. out. I do think it's pretty interesting. It is a game where you are an alchemist that has opened up a potion shop in an old, you know, alchemist's house or something. And there's a busted up alchemy machine in the basement that I'm assuming over time I will be able. Well, I'm not assuming. I know that I will be able to buy parts for to repair. You know, people come into your shop, they want a specific type of potion, you make the potion, you sell the potion to them, there's a haggling system to increase the prices, and the potions themselves are made with a interface that involves you taking specific herbs out of your inventory, adding them to a pot, or you could grind them up in a mortar and pestle beforehand and then they have double their effect, and then you, you mix it, you mix everything together, and then you run the bellows to bring it to boiling and it produces a potion. Those are the steps, right? But all of this is governed in a really interesting uh, mechanic around what is basically a map. 
alchemy is done on a map. Each of these herbs that you have progress you down the down a path in one of the eight cardinal directions along this map. And as you pass by icons, you gain more knowledge. And as you gain more knowledge, you get access to perk points that will take you down an experience path that makes aspects of doing alchemy easier. It's really interesting because basically you will navigate around this map until you reach an icon that represents a finished potion, and then you make it and you find out what it is. And then you can save that cost in terms of materials, and you can reproduce it at that cost anytime you want to, but you could create a shorter route to it with other uh, agents and other processes down the road. Very, very interesting approach. I really like it conceptually. Um, it's very chill. There's no time pressure placed on you to do things, so you're free to sort of explore around it. Um, the haggling system is kind of neat. It's a, it's represented by a mini game where you have a, a bar and a timing indicator going across the bar, and on either end of it are buttons to agree to finishing a trade. And in between, there are spots where if you hit the button at the time that the indicator crosses over them, you're engaging in some topic, some related topic of conversation with the person until you wear them down to the point where they agree to pay you more money. And I like it. It's very basic. It's real quick and it's enjoyable. Uh, it's, it's an interesting way of reflecting that kind of uh, dialogue exchange. I really am enjoying it, but I am also only on day three, and I appear to be stuck. Not out of any inability to progress necessarily. Something happened when I paused the game and walked away from it, and came back, and now there's a glitch that I'm sure they have been notified of by now. Someone else has to have to have this happen to them where it just scrolls endlessly to the left on the map screen. Doesn't matter if I change tabs, doesn't matter if I quit the program, I load my game up again. I haven't started a new game, I'm terrified to, you know, lose the progress, although you can keep multiple saves, so I guess that wouldn't be too bad. And it's, so it's not unplayable, but it's unplayable if I have to, like, constantly be moving the map over to see where I'm at because it's scrolled it all the way to the left. Um, this is something that they will fix, and I will get back to playing it, and I think I will enjoy it as I get further in because it's a neat idea. It's a really cool approach to crafting. I, I love a map. I, that's just a thing about me. I love a good map. This is an interesting implementation of a map in a video game. Yeah. It's cool. Oh, and and uh, one of the customers, the one of the, like the one of the first customers I got wanted me to make poison so he could kill his neighbor's dogs. Yeah, as someone that enjoys a good game about potion making and then and then selling potions you've made, I, I'm gonna have to give this a ch a look out. Even if I did have a moment while you were talking about this, where I was like, "Have I forgotten the name of this game? Didn't I? Did I play this game? No, I was thinking of Potionomics, but a lot of what you said was like one to one. Yeah, there is there is some similarity for sure. There is there is some overlap, but it definitely sounds like it has some of its own stuff going on, and I I I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's interesting. 
Uh, who else has played something? I've got another thing I can I can talk a little bit about. I've started playing around a bit with uh, a device I've been waiting like a year and a half for to show up, uh, because pre-orders for physical devices are uh, sometimes like that. Uh, I finally got my hands on an analog pocket, which uh, I don't know if either of you are aware of this. Yeah, I think we talked about it on uh, Podquisition a long time ago. Yeah, basically nice kind of high-end Game Boy uh, replacement that will run your original old cartridges for Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance. It's got link cable ports. Officially, it was only supposed to be a thing that, like, it it has, like, hardware-level support for all of your old, uh, those old systems, so that you, you can rely on perfect emulation. It's got nice sort of visual options. Now, between the time that I ordered and the time that I received it, a thing that I suspected might happen did happen, which is... Definitely not the creators of the device. Definitely not them. Definitely not them. They opened up some access on the device for like, hey, if you want to create homebrew software off of your SD card, you can do that. And within, I think it was within about five minutes, there was a program that you could run that would just set up your uh, SD card to run games off of off of SD card to also do without having the, the cartridge in there. It is an entirely unnecessary device. As someone that owns a lot of emulatory handhelds, like what I can say about it is that it is in no way necessary, but it is a really nicely built device. It's got a really nice build quality to it. It, it feels really nice. And for me specifically, I am a big fan of having the ability to play my old cartridge copies of, of old Pokemon games that I still you know, some of these are ones that I'm 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 gonna, you know, end up shiny hunting in or stuff, or ones where I'm just my old copies of like the Gem 1 Pokemon games, the the watch battery in those dies pr- pretty badly. And sometimes you can do a replacement of the battery inside, but the problem is that they're soldered in place, and sometimes trying to uh, re- uh, replace the uh, the dead battery inside that keeps the save running will not be possible without damaging the board. It's it, th- those cartridges are just dying over time, and there's not much you can do about that. The ability to play my original cartridge and have save state access to like run a save state on a cartridge game and then still trade off of it to an to another proper Game Boy or to back up my save somewhere other than on the cartridge is a feature that I appreciate that is super unnecessary. But it is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a nice thing to have that I really appreciate specifically for, like, old Pokemon saves and keeping old Pokemon copies alive. That being said, I did go down a um a fun little rabbit hole while uh, setting this thing up. I was reminded of the fact that uh, Nintendo briefly tried to do something with the Game Boy Advance, where you could buy Game Boy Advance cartridges that had two episodes of a TV show on them. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, they were the price of a Game Boy Advance game, but they had two episodes of a TV show, and not always two episodes that were, like, back-to-back with each other. (laughs) I found two episodes of Pokemon on a Game Boy Advance cartridge from two different series of Pokemon. Not even from the same series. I was kind of impressed that there's like re- rewind fast forward f- functionality. The visual quality is better than I expected even if like the audio is where there's a real hit in uh, in quality, but it functionally worked. And I was like, "What well, that was a little novelty I did." But yeah, 
it's nice that it has that uh, that that SD card support because it does mean that like on top of that you can just have um you know NES Super NES Mega Drive Genesis all that stuff but for me it's mainly just hey I want to have a nice backlit screen without having to do like a mod for a Game Boy to fit an IPS screen in it that like I don't feel comf- confident in the mod job I would need to do on it that has a good battery life and feels really solid and has save state backups and and stuff for my old Pokemons. That's a thing that I enjoy having that is unnecessary entirely. Have either of you uh, played anything else before we move on to the news? Uh, played a little. Well, I, I played a lot of um, Octopath Traveler, um, which I played back in the day. Really loved. Uh, replaying it now. Even though I've got it on Switch, it was on Game Pass, and then I just idly was like, fuck it, I'll just play it on this for no good reason. Still really good. I still like it more than Live or Live, which I know some people prefer Live or Live, some people don't. I fall on the, the, the Live or Live, Live or Live side, but... um, uh, Oh, oh. Oh? Sorry, I've um had Twitter open on the, uh, one of my screens and just uh, been invited to take part in a women's title tournament. which I've wanted to do some specific women's wrestling this coming year. So awesome. Um, Anyway, sorry, Octopath Traveler. Uh, Very, just a very good RPG. Excellent fucking music. Not everyone cares for the story, but I really like the writing um, and the characters in in, in this game. Uh, Like all eight stories have something going for them. Some of them are weaker than others, but like I like that you've got like, the really a really dark story of a woman who became an exotic dancer to find the men who killed her dad, and then another one who's just this like young little merchant who just wants to go and be the best dance shopkeeper she can be. I like that. I still find it a, f- a fair bit grindy at places. Uh, once you've completed every character's chapter, there's there tends to be a fairly big level jump to the next set of chapters, and playing through all of the chapters doesn't necessarily get you there especially if you want to do all eight and you'll have characters that inevitably drag behind your main party Hmm. uh that said unlike last time i i properly got to grips with uh tressa the merchant and gave her the secondary job of therian the thief so merchant thief by getting the skill that lets her collect money from enemies and combining that with the skill that Th- uh, Therion unlocks, the Thief unlocks, which lets you double your gains from stealing or collecting, I am making Mad Bank, which really helps because the prices in this game uh, are astronomical. So ha- nailing that down has been really useful because uh, you really do need to, like, if you want to get, like, a weapon and maybe some armor, just one and a bit of armor you need to be rocking into towns with over a hundred grand on you you know maybe uh if there were offices you had in the game that you could not pay rent on and then you could slash some legal stuff uh just to save some money uh that might be good as you try and stop yourself becoming the least richest man in the world uh but without that uh i still think it's a very good game yeah yeah in that case, should we get on to the newsy bits if we're ready? Yeah, sure. Cool. Where do we even start today? Um, this one I don't want to linger on too much, but I'm I'm glad that that it happened. But also the fact that this had to be a story in the first place is is terrible. 
Twitch has a function where you can do fundraising charity streams and various charities are uh, available and Twitch doesn't take any cut of donations that go to those charities. And uh, there had to be a tweet that did the rounds this past week because two of the charities added to it were um, Autism Speaks, which is a uh, charity that is run without the input of autistic people and... um, advocates for things like uh, ABA therapy, which uh, therapy is not a good word for it, it's abuse, Mm. and LGB Alliance, the UK's primary, probably I'd argue the world's primary anti-trans organisation right now, in terms of public-facing ones. Both of them were were charities you could support through Twitch. Uh, Twitch has apologised and removed LGB Alliance. They did not remove Autism Speaks because... Autism Speaks has too much of a has too much of a positive reputation amongst non non autistic people. Like that's never getting taken off because a lot of people who aren't autistic are like, oh yeah, that's the one I've heard of for autism, and therefore, yeah. But at least LGB Alliance is off. Evil little shits. Fucking hell, whoever at Twitch let that get up there in the first place. Yeah, I will not get on my soapbox about rampant transphobia again but it is fucking stunning and it just speaks to the deception that lgb alliance have been able to employ yeah that they can even get on these lists like they they need to not be a registered charity jesus well that's the thing i'm glad that they got taken off of twitch's list but also how the fuck did they get on twitch's list is the thing it's because it's automated like i think twitch just didn't fucking vet anything. Well, yeah. They, 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 their statement was very much, our listing of a charity on the list of charities is not an endorsement, which to me sounds like we we don't vet them. We just put... We get a list of charities and we put charities up. You can't do that. No. It, it, you can say it's not an endorsement. Yeah. But that's how everyone's going to take it, because if you list them among approved charities, that's an endorsement. You know, I wouldn't, like, set up, like, a tier on my Patreon or something that would go to someone else without me endorsing them. Yeah. I wouldn't make it easy on any of my platforms to give money to something if I didn't endorse it. It's true in the sense that they didn't fucking vet anything, but it's just not true in terms of perception and practical fucking result. Yeah, the second that someone does a charity stream for LGB Alliance and says... I did a charity stream on Twitch using Twitch's tools to raise money for LGB Alliance. You're then complicit in that, in that money going there. Yeah. Because you've mechanically enabled it. Yeah, your your incompetence does not change the fact that you maybe inadvertently gave an endorsement, but that is what you did. Yes. So let's move on from that to the happy, wonderful, joyous news of more updates about Activision Blizzard King and Xbox and Sony's whole big fight around that and all of the other stuff going on. So, first thing we got after last week's episode was uh, Activision is not being sued in this story. They're suing the state of California uh, over its Activision lawsuit. So you remember when uh, California had their whole like unfair labour practices lawsuit against Activision Blizzard, and that's where we learned a lot of the... like legal stuff about what's been going on within that company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Activision is trying to counter sue because it claims that California deliberately unleashed a hurricane of hostile media coverage. <laughs> uh, the sheer 
fucking nerve. Yep. The nerve. <laughs> it's they are exactly like that Vic What's his face? That anime voiceover guy that tried to oh, sue Vic, the... Vic Mignana, yeah. yeah. That's what they're doing a Vic Mignana. Like that it, literally the same thing, except well yeah. slightly different insofar as they're not targeting like actual victims. But the sh- in terms of <sighs> yeah. like the sheer arrogant nerve of it, the sheer fucking brazenness of it, how fucking dare they? Yeah. So like to go a little bit more into depth on this uh, Vera report from Axios, they're trying to claim that the um the the the, the California Department is now called the Civil Rights Department. Um, I can't remember what it was called before, but um, yeah. Basically, Activision is trying to sue them, claiming that. They have taken too long with their case. They haven't been transparent enough with the, about the fact that they have connections with labor unions, you know, people who would have a, an interest in suing poor employers. But they're basically going, hey, your lawsuit, by saying that we did all those those bad things, people think of us more badly now. So you're you're in you you shouldn't have done that because they think we're bad now because you told them all the bad things we d- did. Yeah, Activision is is trying to force. Um, oh, sorry, it was previously the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Mm, that's right. Uh, but yeah, Activision is asking a judge to force them to uh, produce a bunch of internal documents that include anything relating to their discussions with the communication workers of America the 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 union that formed within Activision that that first union this is a fishing expedition that they're going on yeah they're trying to f- fish for something they can use to dispel that union they have the goal to go no state agency is above the law especially one charged with enforcing it uh, as if as if they don't treat themselves as above the law f- r- frequently I mean, that's a concern. That's a concern, but I, you know, you, you don't you don't want the state withholding the evidence that they're going to be using against you and things I, like. There are perfectly rational. What's absurd is the idea that you are, have been defamed. Well, so here's the thing. Very specifically, so I'm going to read a quote, and this is like the main quote that I think is important. Uh, It claims that the CRD deliberately unleashed a hurricane of hostile media coverage against the company based on malicious and knowingly false assertions. It also worked with activists who contributed to the CRD's media war. Activists. Like, they're one step away from saying woke. Yeah, so they are claiming, they are like saying, hey, the, the problem isn't that you said those things, it's that they are, they are lies, you have defamed us with, with lies. And that the CRD had some kind of specific vendetta to make a... Back in June, there was a statement that sort of dovetails onto this, uh, where Activision called um, the the California lawsuit highly inflammatory, made-for-press allegations. And it's basically them trying to pitch this as, oh, there was never any abuse or harassment. They just wanted to build a little nice, neat package that they could sell to the media for reasons. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is this is a big prong prong of them trying to um avoid acknowledging they did anything wrong, and actually saying we did anything wrong is the real thing done wrong. But avoid avoid culpability and responsibility is that that that's what I'm hearing. Yep, yep, that's about right. Okay, 
So, additionally, uh, we, we talked last week about the fact that, um, that there had been rumours going back and forth about whether the FTC was going to, um, to attempt to block Microsoft's uh, acquisition of Activision Blizzard King. It is now official. They are suing to block the, the acquisition. Uh-huh. So that, that is happening now. Um, uh, the FTC basically pointed to uh, the acquisition of Zenimax and the fact that it and all of its subsidiaries uh, games, things like Starfall, uh, Starfield and Redfall, are now exclusive to Microsoft devices. Yeah. Despite having... And here's the big thing, is when they were buying Zenimax... They assured European regulators that it had no incentive to withhold games from rival consoles. Oh. Okay, but this time they really mean it, guys. This time they really mean it. Right? Scout's honor now. Like, that's the thing. It's like, even without prior, well, yeah. it's a corporation saying it won't do something. In fact, they used corporate's favorite word. They're committed to doing something. They're committed to allowing games like Call of Duty uh, to go cross-platform. Commitments change, you know? Exactly. Like, corporations lie. It's what they do. They're designed to do one thing and one thing only, make as much money as possible at anything's expense. The truth is an easy expense. That's easy to write off. Mm. Um, to say nothing of, of, like, what they're prepared to do. That's, like like, bottom of the barrel. That's easy street. Yeah, there's no reason to believe them. And then on top of that, they have lied about this in the past. Uh, They've already done it, as the FTC has pointed out. And ultimately, this is a good thing. Like, I just saw a tweet from our good mutual friend Jonathan Holmes about Hmm. um, Sony, back in the day, uh, tried to kill an entire genre of game. You know, they had a a massive amount of dominance in the market. Uh, They were so insecure uh, or or certainly so boastful about 3D gaming. uh, They didn't want 2D games on the PlayStation 1 and tried to stop a a new Mega Man from happening. And they had to threaten um, to pull Resident Evil 2 uh, if if they weren't allowed to do Mega Man as well. Uh, I'd love to see that commitment to to games from Capcom now uh, in terms of Mega Man, um, or certainly the fan base would love that. But that's that's what we're talking about here. No company, and and Jonathan made the the perfect point that you know people nowadays go on about the SJWs and the woke agenda trying to stop games happening. It will always be corporate pressure that does it. It is always corporations and executives taking your games away. They're the ones who make the decisions. They're the ones who do it ruthlessly with an objective to make money and damn the consequences. It's always on them. And in in this case, no company, least of all Microsoft, uh, could be trusted to have that much market power. Now we're talking about America this might not be enough to stop Microsoft getting what it wants. Yeah. But it would be a bad thing if Microsoft got what it wanted here. It would be a bad thing. I do want to read um, Microsoft's response to the FTC uh, suing them, because uh, it's just fucking hilarious. Uh, so the first quote, We continue to believe that this deal will expand competition and create more opportunities for gamers and game developers. How, how the fuck are you expanding expanding anything? Like, how are you creating opportunities for gamers by taking games away from certain systems? Uh, but also, 
we've been committed since day one to addressing the competition concerns, including by offering earlier this week proposed concessions to the FTC, which again, are time-limited concessions that will ultimately lead to you having the legal right to just have that be an exclusive. While we believed in giving peace a chance, <gasps> we have complete confidence in our case and will welcome the opportunity to represent it in court. Uh... Microsoft tried to give peace a chance, everyone. They tried. Uh, you know, it's, uh... Yeah, if only we'd listened. If only. Yeah. If only, if only. Once again, the fourth uh, fourth most valuable company in the world pretending it's the underdog. It makes me sick. Yeah. Oh, and uh, but I also, I also, the rhetoric of one of the most powerful entities on earth saying, well, we believed in peace. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. <laughs> not at all worrying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have more. Oh, woe is me quotes from Xbox this week, uh, this time from Phil Spencer. While, while attempting to purchase a huge company that would help them like establish a monopoly, Phil Spencer says, Oh, Sony wants to, to grow by making Xbox smaller. That's what they're trying to do by, by, try, by stop it, stopping us buying Activision Blizzard King. They're trying to make us smaller. That's how they want to win. Right, well, once, the, once you reach mar uh, peak market, uh, capitalization, that's the only thing to do. So as audience growth now inevitably has to slow because the access to devices has, you know, reached its peak, essentially, that's the only way you grow is by taking from someone else. You see, that's how capitalism works, you fucking assholes, you know this. Yeah, but like Microsoft, you don't get to say that the way that Sony grows is by making Xbox smaller. No, they're not making Xbox smaller. They're trying to say, no, you don't get to make Xbox bigger. Yes. They're not making Xbox smaller. They're going, cool, currently we're this size. You don't get to be bigger at our expense. And let's not forget how Microsoft is using rhetoric to try and hide that fact. Like, yeah. lying by omission, basically, by calling Sony the biggest console maker <laughs> in the yeah. world. Like, like when Microsoft's valued it so much more. Uh, and even if you um, take out the lying by omission, um, who's to say that making Microsoft smaller is a bad thing? Like, he speaks of it as a man with a vested interest, like it's a bad thing. But you know what? If I had the power to make Microsoft small, if I had the power to make any mega corporation smaller, I fucking would. I, I, I fucking laugh at this making Xbox smaller thing, because if we look at this transaction as one company getting bigger and one getting smaller, definitely what's happening is Sony getting smaller and Microsoft getting bigger if this goes through. If we're going to say one gets bigger and one gets smaller, Microsoft, you are not the one getting smaller here. So yeah, he then Spencer then goes on to whine a bunch about like oh, Sony has a different view of the industry than us. They won't they won't ship their games day and day on PC. They don't put their games into their subscription when they launch their games because they don't own those platforms yeah. the way you own both those platforms. Let's be honest. It's yeah. still your platform in almost all circumstances outside of the few people who play games on Mac or Linux and don't get the support. It's all your shit. Don't fucking feed us this. Yeah, and Spencer keeps trying to hammer home this idea that by offering time-limited access, uh, that's a deal that benefits customers through choice and access. No, it's keeping the status quo until you reduce choice and access. Ugh. Last bit of this batch of news, we did get some more news about 
additional concessions that Microsoft is reportedly uh, looking to make to try and get this to go through. Um, so according to Bloomberg, Microsoft reportedly offered Sony the option to add Call of Duty to PlayStation to its PlayStation Plus subscription service as as a sweetener to the deal. You can give people Call of Duty for free through game through through PS Plus. You can do that. Oh. Please let us buy Call of Duty. Wow. Yeah. I I can't cite a source on this, but I'm pretty sure we had a news story at some point about the fact that one of the concessions that Microsoft already made was talking about not putting it on Game Pass for a while. Sure. Because um some of the the regulators were worried about this like giving Game Pass dominance. If we ended up in a world where, like, if I understand this offer right, maybe Game Pass doesn't have Call of Duty, but PlayStation does for a few years. That, that, like, they really want to make this go through. Well, I think, I think the, uh, I, I don't think they'd have gone along, you know, I, I think, I don't think there's any way both of those concessions would have happened. It would have been one or the other. You know, either we won't put it on Game Pass for an exclusive, for a limited period of time. Or you can have it on PlayStation Plus because the thought of doing both of those—that's that is some Microsoft darkest timeline shit uh, for them. I, th- there's no way, but um, but that definitely would have been interesting as a concession. Yeah, Microsoft really sounds like they are throwing shit at the wall at this point, being like, "What can we offer you, Sony, to back down?" Because they know Sony is at the very least with the FTC, is winning over some people who have the power to step in. Well, and I, yeah, and I, think that, and I think that Sony doesn't have a choice in this. This is an existential threat to them. Yeah. Um, as frustrating as I find it, Call of Duty is such an enormous franchise for the console market that they have to. Yeah. They, this, this is the future of their console division on the line. Yeah. So with that out of the way, some other stories about people suing other people in the games industry. I don't know if either of you remember me a while ago talking a little bit on this show about um, a game called The Outbound Ghost. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was a very sort of Paper Mario-inspired game where you would get a little ghost going around trying to help people um, who just come to the afterlife after some big event where suddenly everyone was dead. So, a big messy story's evolved around this. Um, Conrad Grind- Grindheim, who is hey, the lead... wow. Another one. Yeah. Yeah. Lead developer on the Outbound Ghost put a video up on YouTube in which he asked players not to buy his game after a falling out with his publisher. Uh, he said that his relationship with the publisher, uh, Digerati, had dissolved, and he wanted the publisher to return the publishing rights to him. Uh, he he talks about the title not being up to the quality standard of games that he typically creates and that people would expect of him. He asked fans not to purchase his game and said he was taking legal action to protect our company, our name, our reputation, and consumers' rights. The implication he seemed to make is that his game was pushed out before it was ready by a publisher in a state where there were a lot of performance issues and things that were not finished, uh, that this was in a state that he was not happy with. Um, as someone who played it, yeah, that game was rough around the edges. It was a, bi- I, it was a bit of a disappointment, but I don't know how much of that is me just not liking some of the design choices and how much is to do with this whole situation. He he even prompted 
people to ask for refunds for the game. Yeah. So this has then been responded to by Digirati, the um the publisher. So the game got taken down off of Steam because Grindheim seemingly vandalized his own Steam page and added a bunch of stuff about don't buy this game. Oh. Yeah, so this has become like a whole um mess of a thing. I'm not one to usually side with like a big corporation or a publisher, but I will read their side. Well, I'll talk about their side. They have now filed a lawsuit against uh against the developer. They have claimed that they have been like completely caught off guard by by his statement. They claim that a lot of things he said in there are false statements, false uh, willful breach of contract, that he is breaking his contracts by going out of his way to tell people not to buy a game that they have published. So yeah, it is it is a big messy legal problem that has just popped up very quickly and as someone that like played that game uh, I have no idea what's going to happen with it but it feels important to make people aware that this is going on because it's a neat looking game and a game that I wanted to I wanted it to be good and I wanted to give it more of a chance and yeah that's that's a mess this is this is one of those kind one of those situations where I re- it sucks it just sort of sucks yeah there's n- there's nothing good here. Yeah, neither way you uh, I can look at it. Do I feel particularly good like having uh, uh, an opinion? It is unfortunate. Yeah. That the game released in the state that it did. Yep. Um, and I, 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 I can't keep my indie publishers straight all the time and i can't remember if yeah. i've heard of you know similar problems with digerati in the past because the name is definitely familiar with me and not necessarily like i didn't hear it and think oh that's a studio i or that's a publisher i really like it was when i know something about them and that's often not great but i i, I honestly don't know about that aspect of but i do know that a small publisher they have timelines, they have budgets that are very complicated and um, a lot of juggling. And yeah. uh, if you miss a date, you miss uh, a sales period, it can fuck up a lot of things you know, that will make it succeed. On the other hand, I certainly can see the, de- the developers' concerns about, you know, their reputation, the effect on their reputation, the uh, the impact on on their art. Yeah. I'm completely sympathetic to that as well. It is just a bad situation when we have to inject commerce into this process. Yeah. You know, it all comes back ultimately to the same fundamental problem. For me, defacing the product page in that way is, that's hard to, uh, it's hard to be positive about, even as someone who likes that form of protest under this circus I don't know. It's so messy. It's a messy, messy situation, um, and it is a shame that it has so quickly escalated to legal stuff going on. Yep. Yep. Last thing, we got something kind of lighthearted to end on. I don't think we talked about this last week. Did we talk about uh, the, the director of Days Gone and his opinion of reviews of that game? Now, before we say anything... Yeah... I didn't mean to make him take his account private. <laughs> but yeah. 
it was my fault <sighs> because that tweet had been up for 11 hours and within a minute of me quote tweeting it, he went fucking private. Yeah. Correlation is not causation except in this explicit instance. <laughs> definitely. I definitely had nothing to do with it. Yeah, so for, for anyone who missed the original story here, so Days Gone's director, John Garvin, um, had some opinions on Twitter about why Days Gone was not a critical and commercial, like a, like a big critical success with reviewers. And in his eyes... It failed because of, uh, among other things, you know, stuff like tech issues, very normal things, uh, reviewers who couldn't be bothered to actually play the game, and woke reviewers who couldn't handle a gruff white biker <laughs> looking at his date's ass. Okay, well, first off, two, they exist, but they are few and far between. Like, I'm not going to say there aren't reviewers out there who are not playing their games to the extent that I would personally, professionally, yeah. feel was necessary. But also, like, that's that's not why your game got bad. Like, no. to, to go, oh, you must, you must not have played my game if you think it's bad, is not a good angle to take. No. Well, no, because it's, like, less than, I would say, 5% of, of reviews, and that's taking into account every shitty little review blog out there. Yeah. Like, in terms of professionals, almost yeah. nobody... Is like that. That is not what's dragging down your average compared to other games. No. It should also be pointed out, not one review complaint about uh, Deacon looking at his date's ass. Oh, yes. Uh, that just simply wasn't a thing. Um, most of the criticism, like most of the criticism I would have was, was the motorcycle maintenance. Um, <laughs> that was a common criticism. Uh, a common criticism was simply the the way the open world it was it was game design stuff uh, many people like praise the story above everything else i mean look i i have problems with that protagonist but it's not the problem that he's a gruff badass biker it's that he's he's just boring and doesn't really seem like much of an anti-authority figure and he's just very he's very inconvenienced by the world and he's very sad about it he's inconsistent is the problem is in story, he's very boring, but he has these flashes during gameplay of someone who's like about to snap, the way it's performed and the things he's muttering, and they don't work together. And I really wish the character we actually hear during combat sections was the character, but it's not. It's a different character. Yeah, I, I, I liked a tweet I saw by um, at Sean Vids on, on Twitter who put it... Uh, when I think cool outlaw biker, I don't think guy who does things he doesn't want to on behalf of people he doesn't like while complaining about it like a moody teenager who's been asked to take the trash out. And like, maybe it's a little exaggerated, but like, that's the thing. Like those, that's like kind of the vibe of the problem. Yeah. I'll say this as well. This really puts into perspective some of the Radio Free Oregon's sections in that game, mm -hmm. uh, where you're riding your bike and this sort of extreme sort of um, conspiracy theorist kind of guy is, is broadcasting about the fall of civilization and stuff like that. And every time he says stuff, not all of it unreasonable, uh, Deacon protests, except the one about, well, none of this would happen if we all had guns. And then he's like, you know what? I agree with you on that one. And there's just other elements in that story where looking back, like at the time I was like, huh, this is a little weird. And looking back, it's like, oh, wait, no, this guy was completely fucking uh, author tracting here. Obviously, compared to 
like if you're the kind of person that says woke, then you're unhinged. And it's clear that he held back a lot in the uh, the game itself. But the the clues are there. Yeah. I replayed it earlier this year on the Steam Deck and it jumped out even more uh, at me, the strangeness of the radio broadcasts. And now it's like, wow, he was really trying to sneak some shit in there. Yeah, guys, guys off his rocker. Like that's, if, you, if you're using Woke, especially to defend like against game reviews of all things, yeah. you've got no grasp of reality. And that's the problem, not just with the, the anti-Woke folks, but mainstream video game directors yeah like the point i was making outside of just the the stupidity of of uh attacking the woke mob uh over a game review uh is this is not the first time the director of a big game or indeed a big sony game uh has gone online to whine about reviews and not just whine yeah actively discredit the media yeah and and it's not always about reviews either jason scryer has been discredited so many times by some big names in game direction Mm -hmm. again i can't quite remember the name so i don't want to slander anyone but i'm pretty sure one of them was the director of a fairly big sony um series uh but yeah like after stories about abuse in the game industry came out we had some of these directors slagging scryer off um and it makes me raise a fucking eyebrow and i've seen it several times various sensitive uh top level creators in the industry circling the wagons and um sort of protecting each other's feelings uh, and going against the media and i think as as evidenced by this guy these are men pretty much in my experience universally men Mm -hmm. who have not been challenged once while making games view themselves as auteurs the moment they brush up against any criticism they act out because they're so used to an industry that gives them automatic nines and tens and they're so used to staff that aren't allowed to criticize their ideas that they are absolutely 100 percent insulated from any dissent from any criticism and they don't know how to handle it when they get it which is why we get things like this and i think this guy demonstrated it perfectly when he said what he said took some heat for it made fun of how he allegedly triggered everyone and then when i quote tweeted him the cunt hid his twitter account because these people cannot handle pushback They're used to being the big fish and anyone who pushes back is drowned out, shouted down or got rid of. And I really do think that there are a lot of game directors in the industry who need a big fucking spoonful of reality. Indeed. Sony Ben Studio, the studio that made that game, put a statement out saying we do not agree with this man. We don't we don't think that our game got bad reviews because woke. Good. Like, it's not even a political thing at that point. It's like. Don't associate yourself with a stupid man. It doesn't matter if he's anti-woke and leans right or what have you. Like, what he said was objectively dumb. And I wouldn't want to associate with that, even if I was, like, anti-woke, whatever that fucking means anymore. <laughs> yeah. Or ever. God. So yeah, I think that's 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 us done. We did it. We did it. We're done. Yeah. Excellent. Okie dokie. Uh, in that case... Uh, Laura. Me? I know you're not done with other stuff, and maybe people would like to hear about it. 
Well, uh, you, you can find me basically everywhere at Laura K. Buzz. Uh, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Other than that, go check out Eurogamer this week for uh, a piece I was interviewed for called Why Don't We Talk More About Cognitive Accessibility? Which is, as the piece suggests, it talks about cognitive accessibility in games for things that are... Uh, for conditions that are less easily tangibly sorted by singular settings options in games, um, and things that are often not thought about as accessibility because they are for people with cognitive disabilities, and also more generally about the fact that the industry uh, as a whole is becoming less cognitively accessible because of certain game design trends that are what the general audience wants games to become, but is moving away from a lot of things that were really helpful for people with certain disabilities. I'm really happy with how the piece has turned out. Uh, why don't we talk about uh, more about cognitive accessibility over on Eurogamer? Go give that a read and a share if you think it's good, because I'm real happy with that. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Well, you could find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pitfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. Indeed. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition that supports this, that, and the other. Uh, I also stream on Twitch. I've been a bit spotty because of illness and stuff, but it's Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. I aim to stream on Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, I do my best, but it's been a bit hard lately. Uh, current wrestling dates are uh, December 30th. I will be in Sheffield for True Grit Wrestling uh, at the PPW facility, no less. Check out at True Grit Wrestle to uh, get details on that. Uh, I am at Sovereign Pro Wrestling on February 5th. Commander Sterling versus Mr. Britain, genuine uh, bodybuilding champion Shreddy. That's in Manchester, and that uh, you can check them out at SovPro on Twitter for details. Uh, and then it's not been announced at this current time, but I know how quick they are with announcements. So I'm just going to say that on uh, uh, March 17th and the 18th, PCW is doing a two day tournament uh, in Blackpool. Um, at Flamingos, uh, where I've performed before. Uh, Road to Glory, it's a title tournament. Uh, they've got a, a men's title tournament, a women's title tournament, and Commander Sterling uh, has entered for the women's tournament. So that's going to be cool. Very much looking forward to that. So that's March 17th and the 18th. Um, other than that, uh, we will see you again next week. Uh, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for supporting and everything else. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.